Welcome back to What We Believe and Why with Dr. George Byron Koch. Before the break, we touched on the word sanctification, and it's time now to see whether or not it's essential, non-essential, how we decide, and what does it mean to me today? Here's Pastor George with more on sanctification. We're going to continue to look at the essentials and the non-essentials of the faith. And we're going to begin now to look at sanctification. This is a big word used by theologians. It really basically means learning to live and love as Jesus did. But we'll call it sanctification. That's a good category title for it. Let me tell a story that will help illustrate some of this and illustrate some of the points that we will make again and again about essentials and non-essentials. Remember, the essential is an if and only if. It's required. A non-essential might be important, but it's not required for the faith. So we'll press on. One day, another pastor and I were standing on a street corner outside of a coffee shop, drinking coffee and talking about our hopes and concerns in serving the people of God. Some street evangelists came up to us and asked, Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? We grinned and said, Yes, we do. And they said, Wonderful. Have you been baptized? And we said, Yes, we have. And then they said, But you weren't baptized in our church. That's true, we agreed. But we were baptized in a Christian church. And they pressed on. The church outside our congregation is so unfaithful that baptism anywhere else has no effect and you are still lost in your sins. Come with us to our church right now. And if you really truly confess Christ, you will let us baptize you and only then will you be saved. We declined. They were wrong for many reasons, which I'll leave to you to consider. But this is an example of a serious problem that abounds in theology and the church. Many denominations and individuals have become so fond of a particular doctrine, practice, history, culture, or tradition that they've mixed it inseparably with salvation. Unless you have absolute conformity to every item of doctrine they believe, they declare you are not saved. They will argue that many things about our behavior and our opinions, our acts and our theology, the belief in the inerrancy of Scripture through sexual purity, the gender of pastors and the nature of communion, baptism by immersion or the unbroken apostolic succession, and countless others are in the center dot of those two concentric circles we talked about. They're essentials. They're a part of salvation. But more valuably and more accurately, we can think about these two concentric circles. In the center, the essentials. In the outer ring, the non-essentials. In the center, salvation. In the outer ring, sanctification. And there are many things that are profoundly important to living life in Christ, that is, a part of sanctification, that are not essential to salvation. They follow salvation, 
but they are not a requirement for it. And this is where the precision and the distinction between essentials and non-essentials will begin to bear fruit for us. If we imagine these other things to be required for salvation, then the ring of the non-essentials shrinks down to a narrow line circling a really large inner circle. And that thin line around the edge contains only such innocuous items as the color or cut of our clothing or the language we speak, although I'll tell you that even some of these have been argued as inseparable from salvation. This is a common error and a serious one. Remember Meiderlin's words, we would be in the best shape if we kept in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in both charity. When we face issues in the church about which we disagree, we must first ask quite rigorously, is this a salvation issue? We must shun the temptation to make it a salvation issue in order to falsely elevate its importance. It can be really important and still not be a salvation issue. And we shouldn't claim that it is a salvation issue just to raise its profile in our debates. And more, if it's non-essential, we should grant liberty. We should be able to differ even if we deeply disagree and do so with respect and love. And lastly, in both the essentials and the non-essentials, we must show charity, which is godly love for each other. And this, sadly, is the one thing most often absent in religious discussion and debate. But then, if these things are not essential to salvation, even if they're an important part of sanctification, if they're not essential to salvation, then why do they matter? We've looked at salvation, the if and only if, the necessary, the required, the essential, the being born again from above into the kingdom of heaven, accepting the love of Christ, trusting him to do what he says. This initiation of a covenant, a pact, a vibrant relationship with our creator that will take on great importance within our lives. It begins with a yes, but it becomes so much more. Now we can consider the important content of a life in Christ, the more. This is sanctification. That's the theological term for it. Salvation is spiritual birth to a new life. Sanctification is living life, a life in Christ after this new birth. Though sanctification is non-essential for salvation— That is, all of the many elements of sanctification shouldn't be stuffed back into what we call salvation in order to make those items seem more important when they really aren't essential to salvation. Nevertheless, those things are essential. They are important to the process of sanctification. And so let's look into this more deeply so it becomes clear. Sanctification is about living a rich, full, abundant, godly life, being harmonized with the will of God, being conformed to the image of Christ. 
Sanctification is learning to live and love like Jesus. It is at least a lifelong process. It matters because Jesus says it does. It isn't essential to being saved, but it is vital, essential to living faithfully after being saved. It is where we grow toward wholeness, authenticity, and wholehearted love by the presence of the Spirit of God with us and within us. In this life, while we have breath, if we have been saved, then what our life ought to be about is trying to find conformity with God's will for us. We will mess up. Not a day goes by, not an hour goes by that I don't mess up. But it doesn't affect my salvation, because my salvation comes from God's grace, from what Jesus did for me, not from what I do. Hold on to this. It is a key to understanding all that follows. And think about it. If Jesus saved me just for all the sins I committed up until the moment he saved me, and I'm responsible for all the sins that come after it, then Jesus was just a momentary Savior, and I have to be my own Savior from then on. Well, guess what? I couldn't do it before he saved me, and I can't do it now. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 7 when he bewails his own sinfulness. And he begins Romans 8 with one of the most important and hope-filled verses in all of Scripture. But there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Cling to that one, because it is truly good news. As we continue to explore and look into salvation, and now in much more depth, sanctification, we will discover the parts and elements of that journey together with Christ, with the Holy Spirit within us, guiding us and leading us, with the assembly of God, the body of Christ, other believers around us, to help hold us accountable and love us, for us to help hold them accountable and love them, for us to move together as Christ's hands and feet in this world, to love and help save those who are lost, to help heal the world. This is what the sanctified life, the life of sanctification, is all about. And we don't go about it alone. We go about it with Jesus with us always, present always, the power of the Holy Spirit present with us always. What an extraordinary gift and opportunity we are given after our salvation. Well, that's an encouraging way to end this edition of What We Believe and Why, a reminder that we are not taking the journey of sanctification alone and certainly not in our own power. We have the Holy Spirit with us. Thank you, Pastor. There are plenty of resources we want to make you aware of at whatwebelieveandwhy.com, including a study guide, perhaps a small group that you're participating in, would benefit from working through the aspects of faith and of theology. We encourage you to check that out, whatwebelieveandwhy.com. And join us next time here for another edition of What We Believe and Why. We'll be right back. 